there and welcome back to Beyond Health Podcast. This is your host, Brett, and you are dialed into another episode. Um, been a couple of weeks since I've published anything. Uh, life is a little crazy, very, very busy right now with um, everything, and it is awesome. Uh, good to be in the flow. Um, I invited my good friend on and colleague, uh, Emily Dawson, for this episode uh, right now, everything in my space, everything that I'm doing is all revolving around gut health. And I thought that this was a very, very timely conversation uh, because what we're starting to see out there, and I've been seeing it for a while, is starting to see people becoming very, very trapped on these restrictive diets. So whether you're going on candida diets or SIBO diets or leaky gut diets or whether you have food sensitivities, um, the general trajectory that we see people out there on is that they eliminate things that are bothering them and then they get stuck on there, right? And so in this episode, uh, Emily and I, we do a lot of work together. We talked uh, quite often and we want to talk about some of our observations out there. And, uh, you know, if this is you out there and you're stuck on these restrictive diets, uh, we want to provide some context and some solutions for you to help you understand what's perhaps going on in the background, uh, why people get stuck on there, why when they try and open up their diets that they can't open up their diet and they're still reactive. And we talk about things like addressing root causes. Uh, we talk about how uh, sometimes food sensitivities, uh, things like candida, SIBO, and so forth, leaky gut for that matter, are really just symptoms of other things that are actually driving those conditions. And that usually uh, people don't resolve the, they don't address the underlying condition. What they actually do is they just start treating the symptoms and therefore get stuck on these types of plans. So uh, lots of things to talk about here. Emily shares her personal story as well. And uh, we do also talk, uh, we sort of navigate or deviate, I should say, uh, into other areas as well where there's just this general phobia of food uh, because, you know, everything is bad, uh, whether you're talking about plant-based foods with lectins and oxalates and uh, anti-nutrients or whether you're talking about meat that's factory farmed and loaded with antibiotics and hormones. There's this general trend out there where people are becoming very, very afraid of food. And this is actually also uh, driving people onto these very, very restrictive type of diets. Uh, so before I hop into today's episode, uh, just to let you know that Emily and I are launching our 12-week program called Symbiome. Uh, Symbiome, uh, we've worked on this for a while. Uh, this is a relaunch, and uh, we're super, super pumped to put that out there. Uh, you can check out all the details by clicking through to the show notes, or you can go to symbiomehealth.ca. That's S-Y-M-B-I-O-M-E. So Symbiome health.ca, or you can just check the show notes and uh, find out all the details for that program. Uh, we officially start our first uh, group coaching session on March 7th, and this is really a program unlike any other where we do take the best of one-on-one -on -one functional nutrition and functional medicine and combine that into a powerful and supportive uh, community group setting. So the best of both worlds, um, it is a 12-week group program, but you do get one-on-one -on -one sessions. We have included a GI map stool test as well. Uh, so lots of perks, lots of benefits. And in addition to that community support forum, uh, you also get weekly live coaching calls with uh, either Emily or myself. So check that out, symbiomehealth.ca, or you can click through to my website. You can click any of the links in the show notes. Uh, you'll see them there and uh, book yourself in to apply uh, to join that program if that's something that interests you. 
Um, for practitioners out there, uh, we are in the final days of my Digestive Health Practitioner Masterclass. Again, you can just click through to the website. Everything is right there. And uh, if that is something you're interested in, uh, we are about to close enrollment at time of recording. So uh, thanks so much for tuning in. As, as always, if you do enjoy today's episode, uh, please consider subscribing, leaving us a review, sharing this with your friends, your family, your community, and particularly if people out there that you know, or if this is you, uh, suffering from gut health issues and health issues and feeling trapped and stuck with nowhere to go. Uh, these types of episodes can really, really help you to think differently about these types of things. So thanks for tuning in. And uh, without further delay, here is Emily Dawson. All right. Hey, Emily, how's it going? Good to see you today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you and I work together. We talk together all the time. So um, I thought, why not just have a conversation? Because we've actually been talking about a lot of stuff lately around restrictive diets. We've been talking a bit about candida. And I mean, you probably know more than me being like very active on social media and really seeing what's going on out there, how people are oftentimes um, going on these restrictive type of diets and just getting stuck there for very long periods of time, right? Very long periods. We're talking years for some people. So it's something that's really concerning to me as a practitioner and someone in this space and even having personal experiences with restrictive diets. So I think, yeah, we definitely need to bring awareness to it and get people off those restrictive diets because they really do more damage than good, to be honest. So, okay, so you said um, you have personal experience. What, what, what happened to you? Because I know you had some like health issues in the past and so you... Were you stuck on a restrictive diet for a long time or? Honestly, I will say I've done every type of diet out there. When I was in the midst of my IBS situation, I was doing candida diets. I tried low FODMAP. I did food sensitivity tests, cut all those out for months on end. And I think I had a lot of confusion around what I was actually doing. I thought that cutting out those food sensitivities meant that I would just be symptom free and live that way forever. But really, obviously, I developed more food sensitivities as time went on. Um, and I see that with a lot of clients too, where you cut out these food sensitivities, think that that's the solution, but you're not really addressing the root cause. So that's what happened to me. I didn't eat gluten and dairy for years and years and years, avoided sugar. Um, or if I did eat it, I would feel really guilty, like I had destroyed my health. And mm you know, that side of things for sure. And yeah. then I did a food sensitivity test, which told me that I couldn't have strawberries and pumpkin seeds and flax seeds and cashews and all these things that I was eating all the time. Cut those out. Obviously that didn't work. So yeah, definitely a lot of firsthand experience with cutting things out of your diet. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, we see that a lot, right? And, and I think um, there's a bit of a needle to thread in that from my side anyway, I don't, I'm not like opposed to restrictive diets. I think that restrictive diets really serve their purpose. Um, and so when we look at restrictive diets, I think a good question to kind of just throw out there for everyone is like, why do people actually go on restrictive diets in the first place? You know, what's, what's mm -hmm. the whole point, right? And usually from what I've seen anyway is, um, and this, I'm talking about people that have maybe DI, that are DIYing things, right? So they've just like, they've read some stuff on Dr. Google or listened to podcasts and summits and whatever, and then they're trying things out which I totally respect. And so then what they're doing is um, for a number of reasons, like maybe they've identified, like you said, food allergies, right? So it's like, oh, I'm, I'm reacting to foods uh, and we don't need to get into the weeds with what, you know, what types of reactions, let's just say food reactions, right? 
And so then what happens is they start identifying those and removing them, right? Mm -hmm. And then the symptoms start to go away, right? So, yes. so that's, that's one piece of the puzzle. The other big area here is um, obviously infections, right? And when I say infections, I'll just say that very loosely, like uh, bacterial imbalance or things like candida, SIBO, stuff like that. And so then, you know, same thing, right? So they identify or let's say they just go and look online and, and go, oh, my gosh, I'm showing all the signs and symptoms of candida. Therefore, they go on a candida diet and lo and behold, all the symptoms start going away, right? Um, is there anything else, do you think? Like, what about beliefs around food? Do you think, do you think a lot of people are going on restrictive diets? Well, I think when it comes to restrictive diets, I'm with you in that I do agree there are there is a time and place for restrictive diets. Mm -hmm. If you've got a crazy overgrowth of candida or you've got SIBO or some type of infection, then we need to starve that out to a certain extent. But I think what ends up happening is when people are DIYing it, they're not actually doing the work to repair why they're having those reactions to the foods mm -hmm. in the first place. So they get stuck and then you're stuck on the candida diet or you're stuck on low FODMAP for years and years and years because we're not actually following any type of protocol to address why you're reacting in the first place. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's what I see the most is just that DIY approach where you just end up sticking to this diet for the, like 10 years because yeah. of keeping your sanity down. Th that's actually my record. My record was someone coming to see me that had been on a candida diet for 10 years. Mm -hmm. and, and they didn't believe in supplements. They just thought supplements were a waste of time. And the, and the whole reason why they came to see me was for candida after 10 years of being on a candida diet, which was kind of kind of crazy if you think about it. Um, but, you know, you said something, and I think this sort of, sort of segues into a very, very key part of the conversation, which is a lot of these things are symptoms, right? So, like, if you have food allergies and sensitivities, if you have um, these pathogens like candida or SIBO or whatever, right, it, it, these imbalances – like really those imbalances are showing you that something else is going on. And so whether it's like poor digestion, whether it's, I mean, look, it could be as simple as lifestyle, right? And so we're not chewing our food properly is one. Mm -hmm. um, it could be that our stomach is underactive and we're not making enough stomach acid, right? Or the gallbladder or the pancreas are sluggish. Um, leaky gut, I mean, holy smokes, you know, leaky gut is both the symptom and a cause, um, you know, in yeah. my opinion, yeah. But but like someone with food allergies, that's a great example, right? So we call this, uh, it's called the spreading phenomenon. I don't know if you've heard of that before. The, the spreading phenomenon is basically, you know, we identify that we've got one or two food allergies or sensitivities, and then we remove those foods. But because we haven't actually corrected the underlying um, cause, we start to still, we start to develop more sensitivities. And I think that's kind of what happened to you, you know. So now what happens is, oh, my gosh, now I'm also reacting to citrus and now I'm also reacting to this. And so what people do is they keep, you know, removing, 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 but they haven't actually corrected digestion or leaky gut or what have you, you know. Um, totally. Yeah. And then there's also the piece of the more foods we remove from the diet over a long period of time, obviously the more we're starving out our healthy gut bacteria. And then mm. of course that's going to create even more issues, right? It makes you more susceptible to infections. You're not supporting your microbiome digestion, all that stuff. So I think it just ends up being this big spinning wheel where we're just cutting out more and more foods, but becoming more and more reactive. And the next thing you know, you're eating 10 foods, which was what yep. I was doing for years and you still have symptoms. And it's like, what more can I do? I've cut everything back. I can't just not mm. eat. So. I think that's a big piece of it as well. 
but I'm with you. Like food sensitivities are a symptom, not a root cause, right? Like they're a symptom of a deeper issue. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, you said something as well, like, like the symptoms are still there. I mean, this is the craziest part of it all. Right. And it drives people insane. I mean, I mm-hmm. had a woman many years ago that uh, came to see me and, and I did a food intake. Right. Um, I actually had a guy too. And the, the woman, I said to her, what do you eat? Like breakfast, lunch, dinner kind of thing. And she said, I eat nuts and honey. And I was like, nuts what? and honey. I'm like, okay. And, and there was nothing else. And this guy um, that I was working with a few years back, he could only tolerate salmon and sweet potato. That was it. Nothing else. Right. And so you just, you know, and, and I feel for people and, you know, those of you out there listening to this, some, some of you might be really resonating with this right now, right? Where you, you know, you, you keep cutting things out, keep cutting things out and you paint yourself into this corner where, you know, you, um, when you try and open up your diet again, this is the other, the other part of this, right? Is when you try and open up your diet again, the symptoms just flare right up. So even if you do manage to get symptoms down, if you haven't actually worked at the root cause to get these things sorted out and support your digestion and balance your bacteria and fix the leaky gut or whatever's going on, um, now all of a sudden you're literally trapped in that diet because every time you try and come off that diet, your symptoms are still there, you know, which is, which is very crazy. Um, Yeah. I had a woman very similar FODMAP diet for 14 years and could never get out of it. Every time she tried to eat a FODMAP symptoms would flare up. Sure enough, we run some testing, we figure out she's got SIBO, we start correcting her digestive imbalances, heal her gut, and within three months, FODMAPs are back in her diet. And she just couldn't believe it, right? But I think there's just not that information out there. People aren't getting the info that, you know, cutting out foods is just keeping the symptoms down, but you're gonna be stuck on it long-term. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what, what all this does, let me ask you, so when you were going through that, like mm-hmm. how what was life like for you when you were kind of stuck in that spot because i personally have never had to deal with that my personally i'll be fully transparent here i've definitely gone on all kinds of different diets but i've been very blessed that i haven't had to like really go crazy i mean i did a candida diet for six months just because i wanted to try it out but i you know mm-hmm. yeah so anyway sorry to interrupt I think the biggest thing, you know, there's one thing to be said for removing big triggers like gluten and dairy. That's fairly straightforward. You can still go to restaurants. You can eat at other people's houses. It's easy to navigate. But when you're eliminating micro ingredients like vinegars and for me, a bunch of spices showed up on my food sensitivity test and certain fruits and herbs. And it was very challenging and very isolating because I couldn't go do anything. Like if I went anywhere, I had to pack my own food. I had to read every ingredient on every label, forget about eating at restaurants. There's no way I'm going to show up to a restaurant and say, Hey, can you make sure that these 56 foods are not in my dish? Like, (laughs) so it can be very, very isolating when you're stuck on those types of diets, especially if you don't have the guidance of a practitioner to say, Hey, you know, this is how you should navigate going to a restaurant or this mm. is what you can do to put symptoms down. I was just kind of on my own. So it was very challenging, very yeah. isolating. And like what I'm starting to see out there, I think you probably see it more than I do is, is it's sort of like breeding this whole culture where people are very, very afraid of food, right? Like that they too. become like super terrified of like going out and, oh my gosh, if I have to like order something, um, or if I go to someone's house, like, what if, you know, there's this, and again, we can talk about this in a minute, but it might just be, you know, this micro ingredient that's not really doing all that much to you. Do you know what I mean? 
Um, no, totally. And I see that a lot with candida where people discover that certain foods feed candida. So they remove them from their diet. And even if they've gotten rid of the candida, they're very afraid that if they eat those foods again, the candida will come back. So it really creates this fear where it's like, oh my gosh, if I eat maple syrup, I'm going to get candida again. I'm just never going to eat it again for the rest of my life. Right. And there's, there's a whole laundry list of candida, but I think that's a big one where, especially when you go online and look at the candida diet and try to do it on your own, there's no understanding of actually you can bring those foods back in once you strengthen your microbiome and you're not going to get candida. Yeah. Well, I think, I think this brings up another point, which is very, very important, right? Is there's different um, you know, let's just stay on the candida topic, right? I mean, there's there's foods that are going to be absolute kryptonite, you know, that are just like if you go dropping sugar bombs down there and you're eating, you know, donuts uh, glazed with, you know, high fructose corn syrup or whatever. I mean, that's obviously just like going to completely derail candida. But there's plenty of other foods like, you know, the the debate around fruit and candida is is a big one, you know, like there's those two schools of thought where um, there are some people that will say, you know, fruit doesn't feed candida because it's mostly fructose and and it's not sucrose. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of sit in the middle somewhere because, you know, you can then go even deeper on that and say, well, is it a high glycemic food? Is it is it a high glycemic fruit that has lots of sugar in it? Or is it something that's relatively low glycemic, like a berry or something like that? And I think what happens is, you know, as you were saying, people go and look online and they look at the list in its entirety and some of those things are not going to be major factors, you know. So I always say to people, pick the low-hanging fruit, right? And, like, if you just want to stick to the, the red, red, red list um, and just stick with that, you're good to go, you know, most times. If someone has something like systemic candida that, you know, maybe through lab testing you've identified that and they've got a whole laundry list of symptoms, maybe that person's going to have to go on something slightly more restrictive while you fix that, you know what I'm saying? But right. Yeah, but I just see people kind of throwing out the baby with the bathwater and they're like, oh my gosh, anything that feeds candida is just out forever. Oh, including carrots, beets, like all kinds of vegetables. And it becomes this diet that's very low carb and very low sugar. Mm. And then, of course, you have to look at the energy side of things. What's happening with your energy? These people are totally depleted, right? Um, I'm with you 100% in that I think the fruit is a big one that people get confused around. And I think, again low glycemic fruit, pair it with some protein and fat to support your blood sugar. We're talking about something totally different than going and drinking a freshly squeezed mango juice. That's right. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. Well, and something else, I mean, look, you know, candida, let's just, people, I think people still have this whole notion that candida is this, you know, um, arch enemy of the body and that it just needs to be obliterated mm-hmm. into like last century. And you know, in reality, like your your microbiome, and we'll say the the global microbiome. So that's not just in your gut. I mean, it's like everywhere. It's it's constantly. You know, there's subtle changes, and things are moving around all the time. And you know, we do have these uh, what are called opportunistic organisms, right? So, and I like that word because opportunistic really means that if there's an opportunity to to take a foothold and and become overgrown, then it's going to do that, right? But we're born with candida. You know, every single person listening to this or watching this right now is born with candida. And so um, a lot of these opportunistic organisms are actually there for beneficial purposes. So, you know, for, for candida, a lot one, one of the things that candida does is it actually, um, it'll eat up mercury, right? 
So can you imagine now you're getting poisoned with mercury for what, wherever that's coming from, and now the candida's growing to literally try and save you from mercury poisoning, and you go and run a test and go, oh my gosh, the candida's high, and now you're just going to keep blasting it with antimicrobials or antibiotics. And how many people out there on that cycle, right? I mean, forget about mercury, but how many people are on that antibiotic cycle where it's just, you know, and then, and then starving it out with the diet as well. Um, and so the other thing before I, I, I shut up here is that candida also flexes the immune system, you know? Right. So it's like there to train your immune system. And I've said this for years. It's like, can you imagine if you had never ever, like if your immune system had never seen candida before in its life and suddenly you had yeast suddenly start growing in your in your gut, like it would literally kill you, you know? So you need like a little bit of these things in there. And again, if we um, strengthen the terrain, if we strengthen digestion, if we eat the right foods, then it's all good. You know, it, it doesn't have to um, That too, us. like it's yeah. so much more than just starving out the candida and killing it. There's so much more that goes into it. And I'm sure you see the same thing, but in my practice, even when people come in with candida, there's lots of other co-infections. There's usually digestive insufficiency going on. Their flora is depleted. It's a lot more complex than just starving mm -hmm. out the candida and blasting it with antifungals, right? Which I think can be a cycle as well that we get stuck in, just like you were talking about. Yeah. Now, you were saying something, I think, before we started chatting here, before we recorded, you were saying something about some of the things that you're seeing out there that I'm not really seeing it because I maybe I'm kind of dealing with slightly different people. I don't know. But you're saying that some of these people that have been on these restrictive diets are having some pretty crazy like side effects we'll call them or 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 symptoms uh maybe you want to speak to those a little bit yeah i mean i'll give you an example i had a lady come in to see me who had been on a candida diet a very restrictive candida diet for i believe it was three years and when i'm talking about restrictive candida diet we're talking no fruit absolutely no sugar mm -hmm. very minimal carbs extremely restrictive and what ended up happening was she had lost her period. She was experiencing hair loss. Her energy was completely tanked. So just extreme adrenal fatigue, no energy, couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And I think that's a very classic case that can happen when you are stuck on one of those very, very restrictive diets for such a long period of time. Plus then you're blasting yourself with antifungals for God knows yeah. how long. Yeah. Depleting mm. all of your gut bacteria, your immune system gets tanked. You know, it's just... A recipe for a disaster and those situations are really sad and that's also why i wanted to just come on here and talk about that as well because i think there's a lot of people out there that maybe think that they're doing something positive to support their gut but really it can be harming to your hormones and mm -hmm. your gut as well to be on those type of things for a long time yeah well i think people focus a lot on detox 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 right i mean it's such a buzzword these days and you've got detox programs and this and that and like detoxification is important don't get me wrong but i think that um the part that a lot of people are sort of leaving out is the the strengthening the fortification the 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 rebuilding or the building of things like the microbiome you know and and like you know when you get into what's called dysbiosis for those of you who are maybe not practitioners you know dysbiosis is a fancy name for uh you know bacterial imbalance if you will and so when you look at the microbiome, you know, you've got mostly good organisms and then you've got a few of these opportunistic or what people would call bad org organisms. And I think when people think of um, dysbiosis, typically what they would think of is we've got too many bad guys, right? So mm -hmm. the, 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 the bad guys are overgrown. And I think what we're starting to understand now is that we actually have a different way of looking at it where maybe you just don't have enough good guys. 
Definitely. You, you know what I mean? And so... Insufficiency dysbiosis. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So that insufficiency, I think, is huge. And, and it's definitely, you know, something that, I mean, you've sat in on my classes. We've had long conversations about this is um, the different type, different patterns, right? So it's like, um, and I'll try and explain this as best I can in audio format here. But, you know, can you imagine if you had high pathogens, so high of these bad guys, and you also had lots of the good guys? Okay, so that type of person would probably respond very well to taking antibiotics or taking herbals, right? Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. you've, you've got a few good guys to spare, let's put it that way, right? And so if both of them are high and both of them come down, well, that's probably going to make you feel better. But then you have these other, the other scenario where the, the bad guys might just be relatively higher, right? So they might just be at like a somewhat more of a normal level, and then you've got low good guys. And so that type of person, you know, this is the person that gets stuck on repeated rounds of antibiotics and antimicrobials, right? So look at what happens. The bad guys are a little bit out of control, right? So they're at like, let's say, a medium level. And then you've mm -hmm. got your good guys that are at a low level. And so now you come in with antibiotics or herbs and you get the bad guys down. But at the same time, you've also chipped away at the good guys so they stay low. So there's nothing to outcompete or strangle out the bad guys. Right. And so now what happens is the bad guys go, well, I've, I'm an opportunist. Right. So the opportunity is perfect because I got no good guys keeping me in check. So all it does is it, go, it becomes overgrown and round and round you go. And that kind of person will say, you know, things like, yeah, when I go on these restrictive diets, when I get on the antimicrobials, I feel better. But it always comes back. Right. It always, uh, yeah. And they just stay stuck on that cycle. Right. Um, so I don't know. I mean, does that do you have anything to add to that? Does that. I think 100% this is where, for me in my practice, working with people as, on a personalized level, looking at their test results and actually figuring out what's going on before we just do the traditional detox, 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 right? And that's another big thing I see is even online programs where, you know, maybe it's a three-month candida program, everybody goes on the same mm -hmm, protocol, we're mm -hmm. asking everyone with antimicrobials going on this restrictive diet, but we actually don't know what's going on with that person's gut microbiome. So 50% of the people, like you said, might respond really well and feel great. And the other 50% are going to come out on the other side feeling a lot worse. They're going to get to that reintroduction phase. They can't bring the foods back in without getting symptomatic. So I agree 100%. I think we need to put a lot more emphasis on building people up, especially those people that are in that insufficiency pattern and even trying to crowd out some of the bad mm -hmm. guys mm -hmm. as opposed to just blasting them with more herbals and antibiotics. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've, I've certainly started doing that more over the last few years where I'm really sort of looking at it differently and sort of going, well, what are these patterns, right? What, what, what do I see in front of me? And then from there, uh, sort of saying, you know, this person might actually be a perfect candidate more for probiotics and prebiotics and actually like building them up a little bit before we get mm -hmm. into any kind of detoxification, which is very, very um, contrary to what standard sort of practices out there, which is the whole 5R approach, you know, so 5R approach is just remove, um, aka blast them with antimicrobials, remove the foods, etc., and then repopulate or re-inoculate later. Um, and so, I mean, and, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that plan, but I just think that where I'm at and certainly where you're at is we're just looking at things a little bit differently these days. Um, and, and it's exciting because it just means that, I mean, well, you can elaborate on this. Like you're actually starting to get good results with people with candida that are not on these restrictive diets. So perhaps you can speak to that. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you really touched on a good point with Candida. You can't be eating donuts and <laughs> potato chips and things. Damn like it. <laughs> yeah, that's not yeah. going to work. Yeah. But I do think that there is a way to be successful without being extremely restrictive. Obviously, this is case by case. Like mm-hmm. you said, if someone mm-hmm. has candida, they've had it for 30 years, they're probably not going to respond that well to just cutting out, you know, basic sugars. They might need a little more restrictive approach, but I have definitely seen in my practice a lot of success with getting candida symptoms down just by focusing, getting these people to eat more of a whole foods nutritious diet removing the big guys especially sugar as best Mm -hmm. as you can and then targeting their supplement protocol based on what i'm seeing in the test results so do they need to be built up with probiotics do we need to really focus on gut lining support crowding things out fixing stomach acid digestion do they need antimicrobials whatever that may be i've definitely been seeing a lot of success with taking a little more of a lax approach i Mm -hmm. guess i'll say Mm -hmm. getting rid of the candida And I think, again, remembering candida is not the only thing. If someone has candida, I'm always looking at what else is happening. It's not just candida over, okay, be all, end all. There's usually much more going on. Yeah, well, and and I think that this is why I have issues with these very, very micro-targeted type of programs, right, where it's like just we're just focusing on candida or we're just focusing on parasite cleansing or we're just doing a SIBO or, you know, whatever the case may be because – when you really get into it, um, these things don't exist in a vacuum on their own. You know, they're, they're part of the organism, aka you, and they're also part of the larger microbiome, which is all sort of, um, you know, they're all competing with one another at any given moment. Um, Definitely. And also thinking about it in the sense that, yes, we're root cause practitioners. We're always trying to figure out the root of your symptoms. But typically there's a root behind these infections as well, right? Like, why yeah. do you have these infections in the first place? we also want to address that. We can't just clear the infection and expect everything to be perfectly fine if we haven't addressed why you got the candida in the first place or any other gut mm-hmm. imbalance. Mm-hmm. Well, and that would go for any any health condition as well, right? Any and, uh, health condition. Yeah, and oftentimes yeah. what you find is a lot of the stuff will get traced. We can even trace it back to lifestyle. Um, so mm-hmm. diet is one thing, but how many people out there, I mean, I've seen this plenty over the years. Uh, you've got people that are doing all the right things, you know? They're doing all the right things, and it's like, I don't understand. And it's like, well, maybe there's some emotional stuff. Maybe there's some mental health um, stuff. Maybe there's trauma from the past. Maybe there's geopathic stress or your environment or, you know, um, the classic sort of uh, archetype, if you will, in, in our space anyway, is the person who is literally killing themselves to be healthy, right? Um, it, it's a 24-hour job, and we're just doing everything we possibly can. And it's like, well, that's actually a stressor on your body. And, you know, overtraining, for example, I mean, we know that that's not good for digestion, you know, plain and simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we can both speak to that on a personal level. We've talked about that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, having nutrition school, wanting to be perfect and actually ending up having more symptoms because you're so micro obsessed with everything. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, and, and this is something that I, I this is something that I've been talking a lot about lately. And, and I'll sort of step outside the lines here with infections and allergies and stuff is there's a general fear of food out there. Uh, and, and I feel mm-hmm. that um, when you look at what's going on out there in the public space, what you start to see is we start to see that as everyone tries to sort of like occupy a certain niche or a space, you know, and I'm not going to mention any names here, but let's just say 
I am a advocate for carnivore diets, right? So then what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, well, all of the legumes and the grains and the plant-based foods, they all have, we'll just loosely say, anti-nutrients, right? So they'll have yeah. things like phytates and lectins and oxalates and whatever. And so therefore, if I'm if I don't know any better and I'm listening to this person, I'm automatically going to assume based on what they're teaching me that all plant-based foods are terrible because all plant-based foods have lectins, oxalates, blah, blah, blah. So there's that, right? And then, of course, you can listen to the other end of the spectrum, which is all of the plant-based folks who are simply going to go, well, meat is terrible, right? Meat causes cancer. They're all um, factory farmed. They're all loaded with antibiotics. And then you could talk about GMO, soy, and corn. And then we could talk about food additives. And I mean, we could just keep going forever. And so I think what's that, what that's done to people out there is it's really caused a lot of panic to the point where I see it as, a, as someone who teaches in a school. I see people, they don't know what to eat. They're you, confused. They, they're confused, but they're so afraid that they don't know what to eat and they won't. And so they start not eating. Which, which is very crazy yeah. to think about, you know. So, and really what that translates to, if we want to sort of psychoanalyze that, is, is it does develop into eating disorders. Absolutely. I was just having this conversation with my mom just last week. And mm. she's saying, I feel like one week I'm eating something that I'm told is really healthy and I think I'm doing the right thing. And then, oops, here comes someone else telling me I shouldn't be doing this and I'm doing this all wrong and I've been poisoning my body all along. So it's very confusing for the public. And even for me as a practitioner, it's confusing, right? You read yeah. different things, you listen to different people you don't know. So it's definitely a lot. And I think that's one of the blessings and the curse situation of the internet, right? Like it's great yeah. to have access to all this information, but sometimes it can be information overload and navigating what actually you know, makes the most sense. It can be challenging for yeah. people, for sure. Well, and you start getting into spaces like bio-individuality, right? And so what's like, what's good for, what what's good for me is not necessarily good for you, you know? And I think mm -hmm. that's where, you know, I, I would say just to try and help people out there, um, before you even go down any of these rabbit holes, I think that just getting onto a predominantly whole foods diet, cleaning up your diet, cutting mm -hmm. up processed foods and the obvious things like sugar, that's usually a good start. And, you know, we could look at things like the blood type diet, for example, right? You know, the blood type diet's been around for years. And uh, I've always said, you know, I can punch holes into pretty well any kind of diet, right? So if, if you want to just talk about blood, blood type, right? So um, blood type O's are your hunter-gatherers and blood type A's are your uh, vegetarians. Cool, great. So like if I gave a blood type O person living in the Arctic the same diet as a blood type O living in the Caribbean, there's right. going to be some problems there, right? I mean, obviously, you know, it's not going to work for both of those people because of geographical location, there's genetics, there's all sorts of stuff in there. But the reason why that diet works well, okay, because people don't mention this, the reason why it works well is because it's a clean diet. Yes. You know, definitely. so if you're coming off a McDonald's KFC diet and all of a sudden you find yourself on a squeaky clean blood type diet, whether it's A, A, B, O, it doesn't really matter, you're probably going to start feeling a whole lot better. You know what I mean? I agree. And so I think the same thing goes for plant-based or carnivore or whatever the case may be, keto, et cetera. Um, so I think for, for those of you out there anyway, I think that um, just tapping into that and saying that's the starting point is just clean up your diet. Because I've seen plenty of people in town here, you know, they know what I do. And they'll talk to me about keto, right? And all of a sudden, they're just, boom, they're going on a keto diet. And it's like freaking bacon and eggs every day for breakfast. And then we're just doing, 
you know, and I'm like, uh, and then adding extra coconut oil to stuff. And I'm like, you know, that's not really the right way to do things. Um, but I understand and appreciate what they're trying to accomplish. But now right. you're going to the very, very far extremes, right? And if we look at things like a keto diet, a vegan diet, um, a carnivore diet, the dropout rates are huge because they're super hard of to course. follow, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think, um, you know, just to circle back here, I think that what what I certainly advocate for um, is, you know, from a therapeutic standpoint. So in other words, if you're trying to accomplish a goal, let's say, for example, you do identify there is candida. Great. Going on a short-term, I'm going to say that again, short-term, short-term restrictive diet is not necessarily a bad thing. But by sorting out the ground floor stuff and the root cause stuff, at some point, you should start to open up your diet and get the diversity back in as you build yourself up, mm -hmm. right? That's a smart way to do it. And I think we could apply the same reasoning to SIBO or any of these other things, right? Okay. Yes. And I think just a reminder that it's you can't be perfect, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it's next to impossible to be perfect. Even, you know, things you buy at the health food store that used to be perfectly healthy. Now you're finding seed oils in them, which yes, mm -hmm. may not be perfect for a candida diet, but like we have to have a little bit of wiggle room somewhere. And I think that's a big one as well as when we put so much pressure on being hundred percent perfect on this candida diet all the time. It's not realistic. Yeah. Right? And, I, and I would say like, you know, so, so let's put a brush aside the therapeutic side for now, just like talk about a constitutional perspective, right? So a long-term diet, and yeah, you know, again, I would just say to people, um, I consider myself a, 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 you know, a flexible omnivore uh, in mm -hmm. the sense that some days I feel like eating more of a plant-based kind of diet and some days I don't, you know, and it just depends on how I'm feeling that day. So I think there's a lot to be said for intuitive eating as well and for, for sort of like really paying attention to how you feel. And, um, you know, I have a history as well. Like I had a rip-roaring dairy sensitivity back in the day. It was really bad. And I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it was basically, I went for two weeks in the mountains and um, no refrigeration, no anything. So no dairy. And lo and behold, I'm like, wow, I'm starting to feel really good. And then once I came down off the mountain, first thing I had was dairy. And I'm like, oh, now I get it. So I right. cut that out for like three years, three and a half years. I cut out everything down to the butter. And now, you know, I can tolerate a bit of dairy, um, but it doesn't derail me like it used to. And so now it's okay, you know, like if I go out and there happens to be dairy and something, well, cool, like I'm just gonna enjoy it. And then if I don't feel 100% the next day, then so be it, you know? But it doesn't um, throw me under the bus like it used to, that's for sure. Totally, and having that balance is also important. Like being able to go to a restaurant and say, hey, I'm gonna eat this, I might not feel 100%, but I'm enjoying myself and that's okay. Yeah. So um, do you feel, I mean, because I want to also honor the people listening out there and watching, like, um, I, I hope we haven't left you hanging out there. And uh, so hopefully you've got some something to shoot at here. Um, do you have any um, anything else that you want to share with that? I mean, like, I think the question that I would be asking is, is how can people um, come off these restrictive type of diets? Like, that's probably, do you know what I mean? Yes, and I think that's where it can be tricky because if you've just done the diet and nothing else, mm. chances are you haven't really changed the underlying issue, right? So once you start bringing the foods back in, symptoms will come back. So I think, you know, if you're listening and you feel like you've cut out all of these foods from your diet for a couple of months or maybe a couple of years, but you haven't made a ton of changes, 
or done any type of protocols to work on digestion, reduce stress, build up the microbiome, get rid of infections, then I think that would be my starting point is maybe reaching out to someone that can help you address those things and explain to you how to bring the foods back into your diet in a way that they won't flare up your symptoms like they did previously. Yeah, I like that. And also, um, you know, I have practitioners that help me. I don't know about you, but I have other people that help me with my health and my mental health and all that sort of stuff because it's difficult, man. Like to get yourself out of your own head and be objective with yourself, eh, it's much easier when you pass that over to someone else, um, you know. And so that's why I have like a good support team around me where, you know, uh, maybe once a month or something, I'm checking in with certain people and I'm sort of going, oh, okay, cool. You know, how am I doing? Uh, help me out here, you know what I mean? So, because uh, there's plenty of people, I mean, I don't know about you, but I get that from people all the time. They're just like, I feel like I've tried everything. I'm so stressed out. I'm so confused. I, I just need help. You know what I mean? Well, that's the other thing too, is when you do try to do it on your own, and I have very firsthand experience with this, I would see so much conflicting information. So I would mm -hmm. read something that would tell me to try one thing. I would try it. It wouldn't work. I'd try something else. And instead of just following through with one approach or really investing in professional guidance back then, I was a student, didn't have a lot of money. So it was a different situation. I was totally DIYing everything. And of course, nothing ever worked because I never really invested in one particular approach. It was yeah. just kind of grasping at straws all over the place and trying to do it on my own. So I think definitely reaching out to people to help and support you in this area is a very big piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And doing that as well. I mean, we've all done it. Um, it can get real taxing on your mental health, you know, just like month after month, just trying to guess what the heck is going on, trying new things, trying more things, spending lots of money, and then just uh, not really seeing the, uh, the ROI, you know, not getting the results that you're looking for. So, mm -hmm. um, cool. Well, look, I think, um, I think that kind of covers everything that we wanted to touch on today. So, um, I think so too. yeah, thanks. It was good. Um, good to actually sit down with you and, um, hit the record button, right? Cause I think we chat so much and, uh, we should just be recording our phone calls. <laughs> you know, what? it's not a bad idea. I have a few people where I'm like, man, I have good conversations with you. So yeah, we should just hit the record button on the phone and then I'm just going to throw it up in the cloud and people can listen to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, where can people connect with you? You're obviously, um, you're big on Instagram. I mean, you've done really well on Instagram and I know you've got a good following there. And uh... Yes, you can find me on Instagram. It's eatingwithemily double underscore. Um, I talk all about gut health all the time. So if you like to learn about that, definitely check me out there. You can also find me on my website, which is emilydawsonnutrition.com. Cool. lots of good info on there as well and free resources all that fun stuff awesome and i'm gonna throw all of that stuff down in the show notes obviously so if you're listening to this uh just the way that the podcast players are set up nowadays i don't know why they changed it but the links don't actually appear on the show notes anymore it's weird i wish they i mm. wish they didn't change that yeah so you actually have to go and just scroll down a little bit um on the podcast episode and just click the click through to the website page and it'll just bring it up right in the podcast player. And then you can actually click on all the links, right? Um, so uh, thanks, Emily, for joining me. And um, uh, once again, uh, just, you know, as I said in the intro of this uh, podcast, um, you can check out what Emily and I are up to uh, with our Symbiome uh, Community Gut Health Program. I'm pretty excited for that. Uh, that's a 12-week um, group program where we're actually combining the best of um, personalized care, so one-on-one -on -one type of care, uh, with the power of community and group support. So um, you can check that out. You can go to uh, symbiomehealth.ca. That should take you straight through to uh, my website, my webpage. Uh, so symbiomehealth.ca. 
Um, that's S-Y-M for mother, and then biome as in microbiome. So symbiomehealth.ca. Um, otherwise, you can just click through to my website and you'll see it on there under the courses and programs. So cool. Emily, thanks so much for hanging out. Good to see you. Thanks for having me.